Well, good morning. It is a thrill for me to be able to be with you. Since being elected as uh, district superintendent back in the fall, I've visited with you a few times, but never been able to stand and preach behind this pulpit. And I'm excited to be here. This is a special church to me and my wife. Uh, For four years, I attended here while a student at Houghton College. And then 25 years ago this May, uh, my wife and I were married right about here. And uh, it's just such a dear place. Of course, the people here have always been special to us as well. And I just want you to know how much of a thrill it is for me to be able to, to be here and bring the word of God to you today. Let me begin by bringing some greetings from the district. And as Pastor West said in his prayer, to let you know how you are a part of a network of churches, a team of churches all around western New York and indeed through the denomination throughout the world that we are working together to fulfill the great commission that Christ has given us. There are 32 churches in western New York that compose the western New York district and God is moving among our district and we are excited to see what he is doing. This summer we are celebrating our 150th anniversary. We began in 1861 and uh, are having actually in just a few weeks our our 150th conference and then we're going to be celebrating with the anniversary service on Sunday evening July 31st up at the Houghton College Chapel. Encourage you to come and be a part of that celebration. We have several of our key leaders from the denomination, former leaders of our district, as well as Dr. Bud Bentz, who will be bringing the message that that morning, as well as throughout the week for our family camp, Refresh 11. So I hope that you can join us for that and the other activities that will be taking place throughout the, the year. One of the passions God has given me as I come into this position, I believe it's the reason why God uh, brought me here is to promote a a passion and a hunger for renewal in the church. That we as a church would not just go about practicing, going through the motions of what church has always been, but have that fresh wind of his spirit to blow through our hearts and our congregations. That though we may not change the the motions that much, it would now be with a, a heart on fire for God. And as we pray, as we work together. I'm excited about what God is doing here at the Houghton Wesleyan Church. I was able to meet with the board earlier and I'm excited to see what has happened the last several years through the Royal Family Kids Camp and and the faith promise giving that has taken place through this congregation. God is blessing uh, you and being enabling you to be a blessing to others and uh, I'm just excited for what God is, is doing here. It's great to work with Pastor Wes and Cindy his involvement in the district has, has been instrumental in many projects, and we are just excited to, to have him and, and others in, our, in this church that are part of our district leadership. The message the Lord has given me this morning is based on that one verse, Zechariah 4, verse 6. It says, not by power, nor, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Before I bring the message, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to somehow speak through me. That your grace would enable me to be the one that proclaims your word today. Not that I am worthy as I stand here, but I'm called. May your spirit speak to each one here that message that we need to hear. And may I be faithful to what your spirit is telling me to say. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If the Spirit were to somehow leave the church, how would we know? Or another question I may ask is, does the Spirit leave a congregation or a church all at once? Revelation talks about, Jesus talks about extinguishing the flame of certain churches, or would it be gradually and almost imperceptible? So I've studied the history of the church, particularly focusing on revival movements, historical revival movements. It seems like the, the downward descent of a church spiritually is always very gradual. Not in a matter of days or months, but in generations is it measured. But when God awakens a church, it happens quickly. It happens by some fresh revelation of his will, of his spirit. And as God works in our church today, what is he wanting to wake us up to? What is he wanting us to see? I have a deep burden for the church. I've pastored the church, a church in North Carolina for the last 18 and a half years. Been in ministry for 21 years. And I've, I love the church. And as I speak these words, I hope that you will not hear me being critical or demeaning of the church. But I am, have a deep concern, particularly for the church in the United States. For I see gradually, perhaps generation by generation, a descent. It can be measured in several ways, but some have measured it in church attendance. For those that are over 40, about, about half of the population in the United States, over 40, attends a church. 49% as statistics go. But when you look at those in their 30s, it's 4 in 10 or 41%. And in their 20s, 31%. It's hard to tell below the 20s because so often they'll come with their parents. But we can see a trend that so often when they graduate from high school or maybe when they, if they're going to a Christian college, when they graduate from, from college, they'll drop out of church. In generations past, we saw this happen. And, and then when they got married, started having children, you saw them start coming back to church. But in the last 10 or 20 years, even that has not been occurring. And so I'm concerned. It's a cause for concern for the church of Jesus Christ. But the key question to the concern is not what is the problem, but how do we respond to the problem? I believe that the church can. And indeed, I believe the Lord has given me an assurance that the church will be revived, restored. It's my heart's passion to see this renewal in the church But as we approach this, it will not happen by some human work or strategy. I believe this can only happen due to the supernatural work of God. The problem is that the church too often operates without the power of the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost. And we see the early church in Acts chapter 1. Actually, I don't know if we can call it the church. It is those who have followed Christ, who have given their lives to follow Christ. And Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my 
father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Later in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In chapter 1, this group of believers, would you call them the church? I would suggest that the church didn't begin until chapter 2, when Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the believers that unified them, that empowered them, that enabled them to be more than just a group of faithful people that huddled within the walls and enabled them to be a powerful transforming force that changed their city and indeed their world. That is the church that we need to be. In Acts chapter 2 and following church. A few, few years ago, I heard a story of a Christian leader. He was from China. He had been a pastor in China for many, many years. He'd gained respect among the, the Christians there and made some contacts with the pastors in the United States. And he was asked to come to the United States and, and, do, and preach in various churches. And he, he preached in key churches. Almost a tour, so to speak. It wasn't that, but it's organized to about a dozen churches throughout the United States. As his host took him from one church, great church to another. As he is about to return to China, the host asked him, let me ask you, what is your impression of the church in America, of the church in the United States? He answered, what becomes a chilling answer to me, says, I am amazed at how much the church in America can accomplish without the Holy Spirit. As I read this, I was maybe perhaps offended at first, defensive for sure. But it led me to study what all has happened in the nation of China. We hear of political, we hear of the economic happenings, but the work of the Holy Spirit in the church in China has been amazing. Let me recount some of its history. In 1949, when the communist government took over China, estimates have that there are about one million Protestant believers in the nation. Of course, when the communists came over, they, they had the churches and they, they took over the churches. They called it uh, their own name. It wasn't a Christian church, but they continued to have services. But the Christians realized this is nothing more than communist propaganda. And eventually they stopped coming. They were hungry for fellowship. They were hungry for the word. And they started meeting in their homes. And as the government tried to crack down on that, they started meeting in their basements or behind locked doors. And the church went underground. In 1960, about 10 years later, the Red Guard came in and they were determined, aggressive in, in stamping out any religion. And they came and invaded these homes. They, they confiscated Bibles, any religious literature that they could find. Any pastors that they found, they put in prison or some were killed. For 10 or 15 years, Christianity was, was continually doused with that communist water to put it out. In the 70s and 80s, there was a little more openness and 
And in the last 20 years, we've started to see this underground church stick its head above ground just a little bit. Still not officially sanctioned. But as we've gone around, there's one Japanese man that wanted to study what happened in these churches in China. And spent six months traveling from from village to village. And of course, could not visit every one. But he estimated that those one million Christians that started in 1949 has emerged about 100 million Christians today. How can this be? They had no church buildings. They had no pastors. They had few Bibles, just the ones that either either were, were smuggled in or they were hidden. And yet the church flourished. When we look at this, I don't say this so that we can say we need to figure out what they did so we can copy it. We're not sending teams to China to study their methods, their worship styles, so that we can imitate what they did. That would be human strategy, human human device. But I think what we learned from China is that when everything else was stripped away, they learned to operate on the power of the Holy Spirit. They learned to operate, especially in those times of persecution, that only those who were truly committed, those who were truly followers of Christ, could be anointed, empowered by his Holy Spirit. I say this, that we as the church today need not to copy their methods, but understand that for the church to operate as God intends it to operate, we must have the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 4, I read this before and it was read in the service, but let's read beginning verse 6 if you have your Bibles open. Zechariah 4 verse 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring it out to to the capstone, bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it. God bless it. And the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. God gave this message to a community of followers of God that were overwhelmed by the task of rebuilding the temple. It was given to Zechariah this message to Zerubbabel, the leader of this band of Jews that were returning from exile. Their task that was given to them was to rebuild the temple that for 70 years had been sitting in ruins. The first temple that had been built by King Solomon was was grand and glorious with almost unlimited resources available. As we remember King David saved up all the gold and silver and timber and everything else that would be needed to build this temple. And this band was coming to rebuild it with limited resources, with limited number of people, probably unskilled in their abilities. The difficulty was great. And God gave this message, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. I think the gist of this message is twofold. Number one, it was meant to encourage the people not to give up. He was saying it will get done. If you look down to verse nine, the hands of the rubble will laid the foundation. In other words, it was started. It says his hands will also complete it. 
It will get done. Too often we, we work for the Lord, we serve for the Lord, and, and for many years we don't see the fruit coming from that. And it's so easy to give up. It's so easy to, to drop back and sort of keep our head down low. You know, people that have been serving in ministry for years, and ministry is not easy these days. I'm not sure it ever was, but it's certainly difficult in these days. I've talked to pastors that are exhausted and burned and willing to, to step out of ministry to avoid the trouble. I've talked to lay people that have been serving for years and maybe get criticized or face obstacles and are about to give up. And the Lord is saying, keep working. It will be worth it all. It will be, you will see the fruit if you continue to serve. Don't grow weary of doing good. The second message that I think is, I want to focus on in this is that we need to, to understand and recognize the source of our strength. We need to focus on the source of our strength. The task before them was bigger than they could handle, not by power. It can and will be accomplished, but not by trying harder, not by human might. I love the, the line in the hymn that we sang this morning. Did we in, own our, in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. That's the message that God is giving to these people here. Don't confide in your own strength. Don't rely upon your own ability. The task that God has given the church today, the task of the church being renewed and revived and transforming this community, this county is more than any of us or each of us together even can do. It is something that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit, uniting us and empowering us in service. It can and will be accomplished. But if we rely on our own ability, it will never happen. Or will happen in such a, a lower level that it will not have the effectiveness that God intends us to have. The temple will be rebuilt, he's saying, by the power, by the wisdom, by the resources of God. It will even be rebuilt in a way more glorious than the first. As they heard these words, I'm sure they were skeptical. They were looking at the size and the scope of this and said, this can never be more glorious than Solomon's temple. But we know that this was the temple in which the Messiah came. And that in itself gave it glory beyond what any gold or human building could ever accomplish. The success of this project depends upon God's spirit. God says, by trusting in him, he will provide all that we need to accomplish whatever task he assigns to us. We are called to go and make disciples. We are called, each of us, to be witnesses of Christ. In some ways, we are to be rebuilders of the church of Jesus Christ. It has lost its glory. It is in difficulty. But who am I to be able to accomplish this this daunting task? And we get overwhelmed. We get discouraged. The word of the Lord comes not by might nor by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This is not only the message for the church as a body, but for each of us. God often places us in situations where we must rely upon his spirit. 
whether it's the difficult task of parenting or overcoming Satan's attacks and temptations, the more you trust in your own abilities, the more you will limit God's desire to work in your life. God said to Zerubbabel, the task before you cannot be done by human power or might or any human ability, but through me, you will see it completed. As we hear this message, there are, there's then the question, how do we operate in the power of the Spirit? If we understand that that is what is going to accomplish, that is what is going to win the day, let me leave you with three specific ways. First of all, believe. Believe that God is able to do amazing things. Scripture says more than we can ask or imagine. We can imagine some pretty big things. God can do even bigger. If we believe, if we recognize and depend upon the supernatural work of God, we stop operating as though the work of the church depended upon me, as if it depended upon the pastor, the pastoral staff, as though it depended upon the musicians, or as it depended upon the Sunday school teachers or small group leaders. We stop operating in this human level of dependence, and we start being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. How is he leading What is God calling each of you to do? We look to exercise our own spiritual gifts and we equip others to do the same. That is operating in the power of the Spirit. Believing depends upon prayer. Sustained, persistent, fervent prayer. Total dependence upon God's miraculous intervention to preserve his church. This is not our idea of what we want to do to save the church. It is God saying, I have a burden for my people. And not just for those in the walls, but for those that are are lost, those that are hurting, those that are, are wandering spiritually around this county and around western New York. God loves them so deeply. He is calling us to participate in his work through prayer. J. Edwin Orr is is one of my favorite authors on writing, dealing with revival. He's chronicled hundreds of revivals throughout history. In one of his messages on revival, he, he said that the church, when it prays, prays too small. He says, we need to pray bigger prayers. We need to pray boldly. What does God want to accomplish? If we pray that we can meet our budget as a church, God can do that. You have a wonderful faith promise budget. Lord, help us to meet that faith promise budget this year. God can do that. But pray bigger. Pray something that God wants you to pray. Pray for a renewal in the lives of those that may live beside you. You think, well, God's never going to reach that family. Maybe it's someone in your own immediate family that you start praying for and it starts, you start to lose hope that God could even do that. Pray big. Pray for renewal. Pray for revival of our country. We often start getting discouraged and saying everything's going the wrong direction and throw up our hands in disgust. But God is saying, let me work and bring about an amazing renewal. Dr. A.T. Pearson said about revival, it says, there has never been a spiritual awakening 
in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. We must depend upon the work of God more than our own work. And that plays out in prayer. The second thing that we need to do, not only believe, but be holy. When God's spirit works through us, we become tools in his hands. Through God's ownership, we are deemed holy by our association with the holy God. And scripture calls us to live a life worthy of that name that God has given us, worthy of the God who has claimed us and that is using us. First Peter chapter one, verses three and four says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God has given us all that we need. Live a life worthy of that word holy. Our sinful choices and habits, offend, uh, they hinder our effectiveness. The effectiveness of God working through us. In other words, even if we say, well, I am a Christian, I'm forgiven. We're not dealing necessarily with our own salvation being lost because we sin, but we are dealing with his spirit being hindered in how he works through us. And if we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us, we may miss opportunities to work in other people's lives that very well could affect their soul, their salvation. God is wanting us to be holy. God wanting us to be surrendered One of my favorite verses on this is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think part of the hindrance of the church is that we have gotten away from this perfect will of God, this good and pleasing will, and we have let the world conform us into its image. And we start to to view morality. We start to view material possessions. We start to view everything the way the world is telling us to view it. And God is saying, no, we need that, that renewing of our minds. We need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. That is what God is wanting to do in our lives as believers, so that he can do that in our body as a church. Holiness is often associated with just outward indications, what you wear, how you wear your hair, how you speak, or the things that you do not do, perhaps. But I think this is saying that our holiness is associated with our surrender to God, our submission to him. Are you a living sacrifice? Everything is God's. Every minute I live for the rest of my life, I'm saying, God, this is yours. I want to do it the way you want me to do it. I want to spend it the way you want me to spend it. Be holy. To be holy is to be available. To be holy is to be pure, forgiven. To be holy is to be surrendered to God's plan. The third thing that God calls us to do to allow the Spirit to work through the church 
is belong to his body. You cannot do this on your own, even through the Holy Spirit empowering you. The way he works in this era of the church is not through solo saviors. We have Christ as our one savior, but it's not through individuals in the church to go and save the world, but he works through the church corporately. And in the church, there are some of you that are called to work with children. Others may be called to go and evangelize. Others may be called to to focus on prayer and ministry of prayer. Others to, to lead in worship. Others to disciple in small groups. So there's many different gifts that the Holy Spirit lays upon us. No one in themselves is able to do it all. If you were to say, well, our pastor does the ministry, we're the ones he ministers to, obviously is a cultural view of what the church is. That's not what scripture has called us to. The pastor is called to equip the saints for works of service so that you can go out and do what God has called the church to do. This very week at Royal Family Kids Camp, you will be the church. Throughout this week at Camp Asbury, you will be serving these, these kids Others will be serving in other capacities, but we must work together. Back to the story of Zerubbabel. He is said to have built the temple, but it wasn't alone. His hand may have laid the foundation. It may have laid the capstone, but it probably did not lay many other stones. There were others that God worked to do that. When the church does fall into the place where God has it, I've heard stories and stories of God working in miraculous ways. David Wong writes about a revival in the rural county of China. I began by talking about what God did there. Let me close with this. The pastor of this, in this rural county, rural congregation, in 1963, he was taken and imprisoned. He had a congregation of 170 believers in this rural county. And for uh, 23 years, he was put in prison for his faith. He was kept from his congregation. I'm sure he prayed for them every day. But as he was released in 1986, I'm sure in his mind he was wondering, are any of those 170 believers still faithful? Have they succumbed? Or or maybe have, have half of them stood? When he came out of prison, he was amazed to find that that 170 believers had grown to 5,000 believers. He worked with those 5,000. They welcomed their pastor back. Probably most of them didn't know him as pastor, but they welcomed him as pastor. And over the next two and a half years, God brought about a tremendous revival in this county. And in two and a half years, the church had grown to 56,000 believers. More than half of the population of this rural county in China between 1986 and 1989 was now followers of Jesus Christ. I don't know what the church hold, the future holds for Houghton Westland Church. But as we place our trust in Jesus and work in his power, I believe that God will allow us to have victory here in Houghton, Allegheny County, Western New York, indeed have an impact on the students that come through this college, on on the people that come through this community, have an impact worldwide. That is my prayer. That is my call, that you would believe 
that you would be holy, that you would belong to his body. Would you stand as we pray together? Father, speak to us as we hear this word to know which area of our lives your spirit is wanting to deal with. In the days and the weeks to come, may we be obedient to your spirit and do that which you lay on our hearts to do, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.